then today we'll be continuing in our series, The Servant King, and our passage is Mark 6, 3 through 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves, and gave them to the, to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored on the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, so... We're at one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. And I don't know if you caught at the end there, but the very last line of verse um, around 50, it says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Um, T.S. Eliot once wrote, we had the experience, but missed the meaning. It's interesting. Have you ever been and had an experience I'll just put it this way. I took pre-calc. I had the experience. I completely missed the meaning, okay? Uh, some of you are teachers. You know, you, this is your job is to educate. And you work and you prepare. And then 
Afterwards, you test, and you're like, they didn't get anything. Well, the disciples had the experience. They saw Jesus multiply loaves and fish and feed masses, and they missed what it was all about. And that's really the question this morning. What is this actually about? Because Mark, he doesn't want us to miss the meaning. So, as we figure out what the meaning is, I want us to take us to four places. The first is the shepherd. The second is the supper. The third is the servants. And the fourth, the sacrifice. So let me pray and we'll get in. So Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, destination number one, the shepherd. You know, Mark's gospel is really about one thing. The question, the big question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And in this passage, Jesus is likened to a shepherd. Uh, look at verse 34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, this is interesting. One of the things, when you think about this passage, and you think about the theme of the 5,000, here's what we honestly come away with most times. Jesus is a nice man who fed a lot of people. And it's true. He's a nice man. He did feed a lot of people here. But there's something more. He's a shepherd. And what's interesting, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's a couple passages that illuminate for us what it means for him to be a shepherd. So check out Numbers 27 here. I'm sure you all read this this morning, right? Numbers 27, 17 says this, Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd? Uh, this account is Moses. At the very end of him leading God's people out of Egypt in the, in the book of Exodus, and it's the time for Moses to be done with his leadership, to pass it on to another. And the transition, the baton goes to Joshua. He's to be the shepherd. And think for a moment, uh, Joshua, what's he going to do? He's going to lead God's people into conquest, into the promised land. He's that shepherd. Later on, in the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34, the context is this. Um, the leaders of Israel, the shepherds, they are selfish. They're exploiting others. They're neglecting their duties. And at the end of this chapter, uh, Ezekiel brings the word of the Lord that brings really a, a sentence of judgment but in chapter 34, verse 23, listen to what God says. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. So check this. Numbers, Ezekiel, are all showing us that the, the notion of a shepherd is one of a ruler. 
one like Moses and Joshua, who will lead his people in victory, and one like Ezekiel says it's going to be a king. Now bring it back to what's happening in the context here in Mark 6. Jesus is in a desolate place, and there's 5,000 men who have come to find him. And in John's gospel, where the same account is, after he feeds the multitudes, the reason why Jesus retreats to the mountain, it says this in chapter 6, verse 15, he perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Do you see what's going on here? The 5,000 men, they're thinking revolution. They're thinking, here's our king. Here's our guy. We just finished up with the chapter where John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod. We all know there's corrupt leadership. And right here, Jesus, you're our shepherd. And here's what's interesting. What does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he begins to teach them many things. And then secondly, he provides them with bread and fish in a miraculous way. Does that sound like a revolutionary to you? Keller makes this point that most revolutionary leaders hand out weapons. Jesus teaches about the kingdom and hands out bread and fish. Now why? What's going on here? Jesus' kingdom, the thing that's going to subvert this world, turn things upside down, it is a kingdom that goes deeper, deeper than politics even after the election. Did you hear that? Even deeper than politics. Uh, Let me put it this way. Um, A while back, I listened uh, to an oral history of The Office. If you've ever watched the show The Office, it tells the story of how it all got started and then all the way through. And one of the originators of it was Ricky Gervais. You may know that name. One of the things he, when he was thinking about this show, he talked about one of the things he observed in culture was, as he would put it, the PC culture. How people talked about sexism and racism. But he noted this, he said, here's what happens. In front of the boardroom, people will say all the right things. But then, when you get them in a bar or other places, all of a sudden, their language would change. Their real self would show through. And what's interesting, the reason why, why the, the, the show The Office actually connected with a lot of people was because, if you remember, Michael Scott was not PC at all, right? But The Office upstairs, they tried to make it PC, but it was the warehouse where people talked about whatever they wanted to talk about. That's where people could be who they were really, who they really were. And Ricky Gervais is exactly right in this moment. You can legislate a certain way of doing things. You can force people and make rules to make things happen the way you want them to happen, but still miss the deep change that's needed. In Jesus' kingdom, 
it comes in a different way. It comes through a gospel word. That's what Mark has been showing us. It goes deeper. So that's the first thing. The shepherd, you've got to see, Jesus has come to bring a revolution. But it's a revolution that goes deeper. The second thing is the supper. Um, We'll talk about the disciples in a moment. But I don't know if you guys, if you're all familiar with any of the Old Testament, put this together for a moment. There's a mass of people in the wilderness, and they have no food. And all of a sudden, someone produces food miraculously. Does that remind you of anything? Well, again, we go back to the book of Exodus. One of the events that took place in the wilderness wanderings was the miracle of manna. So God's people are hungry. They've been rescued. They're in the wilderness. They have no resources. And God miraculously provides this water, or excuse me, this wafer bread each morning to sustain them. Now, in John's account, the Gospel of John, the same account as here, he adds what Jesus said in the midst of this, explaining what the bread pointed to. And this is what Jesus says in John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, this is kind of strange, right? Jesus, what are you saying here? Jesus is saying this, just as if you're hungry and you ate bread to fill you up, Jesus is saying, if you by faith, if you come to me and you find your life in me, I will completely satisfy you. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, um, so David Brooks, New York Times columnist, a few years back, he wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And one of the things he wrote about, the reason why he wrote this book was because he looked out and he saw the spiritual and emotional crisis of our nation. Uh, He decided the mental health facilities being swamped on college campuses, suicide rates spiking, um, and he said this, we have created a culture based on lies. And he listed a number of lies, but I'll, I'll point out just one here. Here's the first one he said, career success is fulfilling. And he said it this way, oftentimes what is communicated in high school and college is this, if you make it, life will be good. And Brooks writes, from an experience, he's, he's an older man, but he says, everybody who's actually had success knows that's not true. One of the things Brooks writes, he, his, one of his first books um, he wrote made the New York Times bestseller list. And he got a call from his publisher that he made it. And he says, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. He said this, success spares you from shame, but it does not provide positive peace or fulfillment. So, 
Let me put it this way. What does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life in a culture of lives? Simply put, the more you know Jesus, not just about him, but the more you know him, relate to him, are able to see him for who he is, that actually enables you to not build a life built on the shifting sands of achievement and status, which are always fading. He actually allows you to build a life upon grace. I'll give you an example. In the movie Chariots of Fire, it's a 1981 movie, so you've probably all seen it, I'm sure. Um, that was a joke, but you didn't get it. It's fine. Um, it, it tells the true story of Eric Little, a deep Christian man, who actually won the gold medal at the Olympics, but not in the race you'd expect. His, his best race was the 100-meter dash, and he actually didn't run in it because the time trial took place on Sunday, and he wouldn't run this, on, on the Sabbath. He won in a different event. But in that movie, there's another man, Harold Abrams, who's not a Christian, and he runs the 100-meter dash. And there's a point in the movie where Harold Abrams makes a statement about this race. He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Did you hear that? Harold Abrams is saying, here's the deal. I have built my life on this race. I have trained and I'm skilled. And the next race, this is what's going to tell me if I'm worth something. And what's interesting is he wins. And there's a scene afterwards in which it's very clear the gold medal was not enough. He felt like Brooks, nothing. You know what's interesting? Eric Little, one of the things he talked about when he ran, he made this comment. He said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And some of you are like, there's no way that's possible, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the marathon is today, and one of ours is out there running right now, so he probably is feeling God's pleasure, maybe. But think about this moment. Two people are running. One says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And another says, when I, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. What's happening? They're doing the same thing. Here's the difference. Listen, if you know who Jesus is, if you know what he's done, if by grace you feed on him, if you know that you're accepted and loved, not because of what you've achieved, but only through what Christ has achieved, it means that defines you. That defines you. And John tells us this is where this is pointing to. This is what this bread is pointing to. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty this morning? Listen, what, what Mark is showing us, what John is showing us is that your deepest longings, it does not matter how old you are. It does, ma does not matter how much you make. Your deepest longings are only met in Him. Do you know that? So that's the supper. 
All right, thirdly, the servants. You know, this is, um, <laughs> this is such a fun story. Because, right, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, everybody's hungry. You've been teaching all day. Just send them away. And Jesus is like, no, you give them something to eat. Um, and they're like, uh, Jesus, that's like almost a year's worth of wages to feed all these people. And in case you didn't notice, we've been following you and you don't have that much money. And so what, what are you saying here? And then Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? In other words, what do you have? And they say, we've got five loaves and two fish. Notice this for a moment. Jesus is training his disciples. He's put them in this situation. He could have sent them away, but he's intentional. What is he teaching them here? Because what you have to know is this, is that Jesus is going to include his followers in this revolution. He doesn't do it himself. But what is it here? This kingdom work, this revolution that will subvert the world, it involves servants who do not have the resources to pull it off. They don't have it. They have to learn they don't have it. But they also have to learn that in his hands, those resources are more than enough. Keller puts it this way, uh, only the inadequate are adequate. You know, um, listen, many of us at Redeemer City, who've been around for a while, you are driven. You are competent. By all stretches of imagination, if you're in Madison, oftentimes you're an overachiever. You, you know, someone's told you the hill, and you have ascended. Not all, but many. And this is oftentimes what's most challenging for those like that to learn. Because you've got to learn to play the character of the inadequate. I'll put it this way. Many of us, we have learned how to minimize our weaknesses. we've learned to only show up in places where we know what we're doing. We know the situations where we perform at a high level, where we look really competent. But listen, following Jesus, this king, means he will put us in situations where we do not have the resources. And we're going to have to put what we have in his hand and trust him to use it. Others of us, perhaps we're on the other end of the spectrum. We constantly feel inadequate. Are you kidding me? Of course I know that. But then, oftentimes, in that situation, we stay on the sidelines. And Jesus won't allow for that either. He will put you in the mix. He will ask you, what do you have? And the question is, will you look at your own deficiency or will you look at his sufficiency? I mean, this is Christianity 101, but it's so hard to learn. 
It means getting our eyes off of ourself and our eyes onto Him who is sufficient. Uh, let me put it this way as a, as a church. I'll say this. <laughs> our next three to five years, we talked about this last week at our family meeting. We desire to be a church that by God's grace sends and starts a new church. Do you feel adequate? I don't. And yet at the same point, right? That's exactly where we need to be. It's okay. We don't know how it's going to look. We don't know if we have, to have enough to make it. Of course we don't. But it means with our time and our talent and our resources, however limited they might be, we put it in his hands and we trust him to multiply it. Because in verse 42, when the disciples do this, it says they all ate and were satisfied. Completely sufficient. So that's the servants. Lastly, the sacrifice. Um, this kingdom is set in motion by a sacrifice and it advances through sacrifice. In verse 41, Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven and it's, he says this, he blessed it and he broke it. It's two verbs. In chapter 14 of Mark's gospel, as Jesus gathers his 12 for the Last Supper, he grabs the bread, same two words. He blessed it and he broke it. And what does Jesus do? He goes on to explain that that bread points to his sacrificial death on the cross. That's how the door opens to this kingdom. That's the, that's the event that changes everything. And you ask the question, why? Why would he do that? Well, back in verse 34, it says he had compassion on them. He has compassion. You know, B.B. Um, Warfield, uh, a theologian, many years ago was writing about what is the most central characteristic of Jesus. And he's very familiar with the Gospels. And he said it was marked by one thing, compassion. That's what marked Jesus' life. And he wrote this. So mighty was his love, so colossal the divine purpose to save, that he thought nothing of his divine majesty, nothing of his unsullied blessedness, nothing of his equality with God, but absorbed in us our needs, our misery, our helplessness. He made no account of himself. You see, even here, Mark wants us to catch where all things are headed. Listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want, you to be, I want you to understand this. A relationship with God is not based on what you do for Him. Don't, don't miss... It's not this point before that you serve Him and then He receives you. No, no, no. It is, simply put, Him serving you. 
laying down his life for you and you relying on that. That is the, that is the way in. And some of you, you might think you are too far gone. Some of you have been wandering and you think it's way too late to return. But if Jesus looked out at that crowd on that day and had compassion, which as one, Chris Wiseman would say this, it's, it's having someone else's suffering flaring in your nerves. Do you know what that means? It means in your deepest moments, do you understand that Jesus has compassion on you? Your suffering, he sees, he feels. Do you know that? Christian, do you know that? There is no one like this king who loves like this. And here's the point, because if you know that, if you see him broken for you, and blessing you, that enables you to build your life on grace. We said earlier, this is how you feed on him, actually. It means your life, your significance, is not based on what you achieve, what is before your name, or what's on your resume. Your status is based on what he has done for you, a king dying for you out of colossal love for you. Do you know that? Because if you do, that changes things. If taken in, it actually leads you out into the world a very different person. B.B. Warfield went on in this essay to say this, he, Christ, was led by his love for others into the world to forget himself and the needs of others, to sacrifice self once for all upon the altar of sympathy. Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world and self-sacrifice will lead us his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times and our fellows. It means absorption in them. It means forgetfulness of self in others. It means if you know this love, it leads you into those around you. Let me ask you, Christian, where are those that are downcast around you? Where are those that are lonely around you? Where are those that are hurting around you? If, you, if you've experienced his compassion, guess what? It changes you. It changes you. And it's going to cost you time, and it's going to cost you resources. But if you know this king... That's where it leads you, to forget yourself in others. Well, the disciples had the experience, and they missed the meaning. How about you? How about me? Let's pray. Father, we... Um, 
We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And we pray now that our hearts would not be hardened. May we understand and see that, Jesus, you really are the shepherd king who has come to subvert and lead a revolution, but one that is far deeper than we ever expected. May it change us. Father, would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you call back the wandering? Would you heal the sick? And Father, pray that you would give us eyes to see this world as you see it, that we might go out with compassion toward others. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.